seems like it's harder and harder to keep uh, my good spirits up. Weakness of the flesh, no doubt. You know, it seems like about a little over a year ago, everything in the world just looked, you know, rosy and, uh, I, and, and all, all the blessings were really, really coming, seemed like on every hand. And of course, they still are. But then all of a sudden, you know, in quick succession, and I'm not, I'm just talking about us now, and I'm, and maybe you can identify. And space of one year, Maxine and I lost a sister-in-law, well, in fact, two sisters-in-law. We lost, uh, three, four first cousins, real close ones. We lost, I lost one sister and one brother just in quick succession. Well, it's been kind of hard to keep my spirits up, you know, about that. But the Bible gives us a reason to rejoice each and every day. In the book of Lamentations, now, you have to place your mind at where Lamentations is. Lamentations is the record of the sorrows that the children of Israel suffered after they went into Babylonian captivity. Lamentations is the, is the title given to Israel's long time lament over the fact that they had violated the law of God. One time they said, by the rivers of Babylon, we sat down. We sat down and, and, and we hanged our harps on the willow trees and wept when we remembered Zion. In other words, what we had before was so good. Now we are lamenting over the fact that we've lost most of it. Now God's gonna, God's gonna come back. This latter part of Lamentations tells us what the answer to that dilemma is. And in Lamentations 3, and in the 22nd verse, if you wanted to check it, Lamentations, of course, is right after Jeremiah. He says, It is of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. Now what he was saying was, we, we ought not to be complaining about our situation, what we're in, nor even be sorrowful, or kind of, for if we got justice without mercy, we would already have been consumed. So he said this, it's of the Lord's mercies that we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. Now watch this. They are new every morning. What's new every morning? The compassions of God. When we woke up this morning, did we have a different God than we had yesterday? No. no. Does he have the same love for us as he had yesterday? Yes. He said in, 
In Malachi, I'm the Lord and I change not. Therefore, you sons of Jacob are not consumed. So the blessings of God are the same today as they were yesterday. But if we bury ourselves in our sorrows, then we may miss the great blessing of the sunlight of his love because his compassions fail not. Now, in the, in, in the book of Hebrews, and I know this could go on and on and on, but I, but it's not. In the book, I believe it is, um, no, it's in Timothy, I think it is. He said, let us come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. So the reason why that we sometimes see more of the valley than we do the hills is because we're always hanging our heads down, lamenting over what we've lost or don't have or do not have instead of counting what we do have. Now I know that's that's a mouthful because it's it's really hard for anybody to do. But now I want to say to you, watch this what he says, the last verse and he said, It is good it is good that a man both both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. In other words, it, whenever that we are spending more time in the valley than we are on the mountaintop, then he said this, maybe we ought to just lift our heads up and look a little higher because he is indeed the rose of Sharon as well as the lily of the valley. Now, I find in my own experience, and I can't help but believe that that is some of yours, uh, that uh, when I don't get to come to church or I don't have the fellowship of the saints and, 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 and there's some things around maybe not not really pleasant, then uh, I'm a little bit prone, you know, to, to direct my attention away from what really is provided by God to something else. But whenever you get right down to it, If I just spend a little time talking to him, saying, Lord, I can't live without you. I can't have fellowship and travel without the Spirit. And then whenever I I talk to him, I think in the way that we should talk to him, most of the time I'll find that whatever goes around and comes around, and the good things will circle right back and come back to us. So he said this, it's good that a person both hope and quietly wait for the salvation of the Lord. Brother Adam, would you lead us in prayer? Yeah, we just so thankful for your mercy and your grace this morning, Lord. 
God, we just pray that you just bless this dear brother as he's trying to preach this morning, God, just that he hide behind the cross, God. We just, you just get all the glory. God, we just worship you this morning. God, we just uh, ask to just forgive us for what we In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 What I've got on my mind this morning, I think, is very um, goes very well with what has already been said. I want to start just briefly with this uh, this song we used as our opening this morning. This song it says, uh, "Come unto me." Four ninety two. We're familiar with that. There's a, a a plea, an appeal in this song. Come unto me. Brother Houston was talking about how he uh, sometimes feels as though it is difficult to maintain good spirits when... Things are seem rough sometimes. Things seem rough. Here's the answer. And it's here's the answer. Come unto me. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Hear me and be blessed. I am meek and lowly. Come and trust my might. Come, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Oftentimes, we as God's children just totally forget that. Now, of course, the greatest blessing, the great blessing that we have is that we have been informed of that, okay? Now, the gospel... Oftentimes we refer to it as gospel salvation. There is a timely deliverance in gospel salvation. Because in gospel salvation, and what I mean by that is hearing and believing the gospel. Believing the truth. And that's the thing that's been on my mind for quite some time now. I tried to preach on it last week, and I think I'm going to try to pick up the same place that I left off last week um, in the book of Colossians. If you want to go ahead and turn there, um, we're going to try to maybe pick up there. But this idea of the gospel, gospel deliverance, gospel salvation, what does it mean for God's children? What does it mean for us? Well, it means that that we we can lean back in that. Just like, as Brother Houston was saying, draw near with full assurance. That's how we do it. But you can't draw near to something that you don't know. You can't draw near into something that you don't really trust. Well, when you hear and when the gospel testifies to you and you put your faith and trust in that, and what is that? That you are able of yourself to accomplish whatever you need to? Isn't that what Paul says? For I can do all things through myself, which gives me strength. No, we know that's not the truth. Paul says, for I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. 
the thought as Brother Houston was introducing this morning came to my mind about John the Baptist. And um, there's a little narrative in the Gospels about John when he's in prison. <laughs> you got to think about where John is. John is in prison. He has been, well, and of course you know what waits for John. He's about to be beheaded. Now, I don't know if John knew that for sure at this point or not, but I figure John's probably not in a very good place, at least, you know, mentally. John is being persecuted. John is not feeling good about his circumstances. The world, the weight of the world is on his shoulders, it feels like. That's kind of how we are often. We feel like the weight of the world is on our shoulders and, you know, we've got to bear it, right? We've got to bear that burden. Do you hear what he says? Come unto me. That's the gospel. The gospel calling you. Come unto me. Put your faith and your trust in me, not in yourself, and you won't be disappointed. John was in prison. I'm just going to read a little bit of that narrative quickly. Matthew chapter 11. And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of commanding his twelve, and he departed from there to teach and to preach in their cities. Now when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ. Now you have to remember, he had already, this is the same man who said, uh, I'm not even worthy to unlatch his shoes. (laughs) He's the same man that says, look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Now, this man was a convert already. But John needed a little more converting. Just like Peter, he needed some conversion. You know, there at the end when things, when the world seemed to be crashing around him, he needed a little more conversion. Uh, Satan desired to sift him as wheat, the Lord said. He said, but when you're converted, when you remember again that I'm here for you, remember when, when you, when you, when that comes back to your mind, you come back and convert your brethren. Well, that's, that's the gospel. Don't forget what the Lord has done for us. He says, now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples. And what do you want to know? Verse 3, he said unto him, this is the message from John's disciples to Christ. Art thou he, are are you the one? Is it really you or, or should we wait for somebody else? You see, oftentimes we confuse the circumstances of life and the things that we run into and the things that we bump into. We think somehow that's going to overthrow the plans of God. But brethren, regardless of what is going on in the world, regardless of what prison cell we happen to find ourselves in, our Lord God is in absolute control. He is. Now, He's not causing all these bad things to happen. He's not causing the world to crumble as we might feel like it is. But we have to remember, He's got His hands on us. And and our ultimate, the our goal is not that we might have an exciting and, and a prosperous life here for this little short span that we've got. Because it's a short span. 
But, but our goal, the goal he has for us is that we would be united with him for eternity. That we would, we would sing praises to him, that we would bask in his glory forever and ever and ever. Who's going to stop that? Again, my, one of my favorite passages there in the, the eighth chapter of Romans is, if God be for us, who can be against us? That's the gospel. That's the gospel. Listen to what, listen to the answer that the Lord provided to John's disciples. They said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Jesus answered, and he said unto them, Go. Go and show John again. Because that's what we need. That's why that's why we're here. <laughs> to show you again. Let me remind you one more time of the gospel. Go and show John again those things which you do hear and see. The blind receive their sight. The lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. And the deaf hear. The dead are raised up and the poor have the gospel preached to them. You see, it's that gospel. It's the, the message of the truth that will deliver you in the midst of the storm, regardless of the storm. You see, the Lord, I don't think, has promised us uh, smooth sailing. I've used this before because it's a good analogy. Oftentimes I think about Paul's journey, especially the one where he found himself on the ship and in the middle of the storms. He had to go through all the waves. But God promised him safe arrival. And that's how it is for us in this life. You know, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. That's the gospel. Again, that's the thing that I, I hope to declare to you this morning. The gospel. I'm, again, my thoughts are still in the the book of second uh, or the book of Colossians, rather the second chapter of the book of Colossians, as Paul begins to make the declaration about this gospel, the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ. Paul said, um, and I'll just sort of get a running start again. In, in this second chapter, I'll start there at the first verse again. He says, For I would that you knew what great conflict I have for you and for them that are at Laodicea and for as many has not, as have not seen my face in the flesh, that their hearts might be comforted, being knit together in love and all the riches and the full assurance of the understanding to the acknowledgement of the mystery of God and of the Father and of Christ in whom or he had all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Right there. It, all the good things that we could possibly have are found in Christ. Okay, While we think that the things that we have in life, occasionally the, we confuse stuff with blessings. Oftentimes we do. But the true blessing is the fact that God is our God. And that regardless of what happens to us here in this life, God is still our God. And that we will ultimately be united with him and we'll live forever. Remember the message that he said that Jesus told the Pharisees there when he kind of asked them the question about Abraham and Isaac and Jacob? 
Where are they now? He sort of hinted at. Are they gone? Are they dead? No. Why? Why? Because God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. And of course, at that time, they had been passed from this world a lot of years. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. He says, uh, I want you to be comforted that you might be knit together, close together, woven together, knit together in love unto all the riches and the full assurance. And that's that's faith, full assurance. And oftentimes that's one of the hardest things that that, that there is out there for us to get, full assurance. Uh, some days I have it. Some days I'm totally convinced. I'm fully assured. Some days I, I'm like the old Apostle Peter as he's walking across the surface of the water. Can you, can you imagine that? The Apostle Peter, a man, just like you and I, just very similar, walking across the surface of the water. And you know what he's doing? He's got his eyes on Jesus. And, and nothing is going to pull him under. And then he begins to look down. And he begins to see the water crashing around his, his the soles of his feet. <laughs> He begins to see that. He begins to realize who he is. He begins to realize that he's just a man and he can't do that. He took his eyes off the Lord. And that's how we are. So often we begin to take our eyes off the Lord. We begin to look around and and see the waves crashing in on us. And what happens? We begin to sink. But just learn the lesson that Peter had learned at that point. What did he do? Lord, save me. And immediately, it, he, he didn't throw him a, uh, you know, a, a flotation device. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't say, hang on, I'll go get a rope. <laughs> and just, just tread water there for a minute. <laughs> wow. Immediately, he was in the boat. <laughs> Lord, save me. Immediately, he was in the boat. You see, that's, the, that's how our God can operate. <laughs> now, he doesn't always operate that way, but he can. You know, that's the thing that we, we, that we don't need to forget. That he can operate that. Well, this, this concept, the, the reason, and I, last week when I preached a little bit from this chapter, the, my thoughts were on preaching. Why do we preach? Why is it that we preach? And then, and then sort of a little further along there, what was the goal of that? What's the goal of preaching? Well, that, this is, and what, what Peter is saying here is the goal of preaching. That, that you might come to that, you might have full assurance of that. You might have full assurance. Be assured that you might acknowledge, sort of completely acknowledge that mystery that he talked about there. And what what is that mystery? He mentions it over in the previous chapter, uh, one and twenty six. Even the mystery which has been hid from ages and from generations, but is now made manifest to his saints, to whom God would make known what is the rich of his riches of his glory, of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is what's the mystery? The mystery is Christ in you. The hope of glory. Your hope doesn't lie in in what's out in the world. Your hope doesn't lie in in all of your possessions. You remember the rich young ruler? Uh, I, I think clearly the scripture describes him as a child of God. The Lord looked on him and loved him. To me, if the Lord loves you, you're one of his. That's just how it works. The Lord loves you. You're one of His. 
But that rich young ruler had a problem. He, he, he said, oh, I've done all these things that I ought to do. And the Lord says, well, one thing you lack. There's one, just do one other thing for me. Sell all you have. Give it to the poor and then come follow me. Oh, that's just too much. I just love my stuff too much. Just love it too much. You see, his eyes were on the stuff. And you know what he went away? You know how he went away? He went away sad. He went away sad. Instead of, instead of going rejoicing, instead of going rejoicing, he went away sad. Because his faith was in the world. Full assurance. We preach the gospel so that God's children might have full assurance. So that they might know what it is that the Lord has done for them. That they might know that they don't have to put their faith and trust in the world. That they might know that they don't have to fear the world. Well, that they don't have to fear whatever it is that the world does to them. Now, in this country, as, as far as um, persecution goes, we don't face very much much persecution. I, I don't think we do because we don't have to. Because I think here in this country... Um, we're probably just not very godly. We're too much like the world here in this country. And so we don't, we don't suffer uh, from the world because we're too much like the world. <laughs> but at some point, someday, we might get back to Him. If, if enough calamities come, <laughs> I remember the, re- reading the Wilson Thompson's biography. It's one of my favorite uh, stories from early Baptist history, uh, how he says that you couldn't, he, he was serving in a church over in, I guess, around Tiptonville. Could, couldn't even, uh, you know, pay people to get in the church. So all he wanted to do was uh, drink and shoot guns and ride horses. And that's all he wanted to do. And he says that earthquake came. He said there wasn't enough room to hold them. There just wasn't enough room in the house to hold them all. I remember after 9-11 happened in this country just a few years ago. The churches were low. The churches had, the numbers were down. 9-11 happened and boy, you just, they filled up again. It didn't last very long, but they filled up again. At some point, I feel like we will likely get to that place again. The Lord will, as Brother Malley says, one of the things I remember Brother Malley saying is that he, he doesn't really know how long that God will continue to allow us to put our finger in His eye until He does something about it. I figure He will at some point because we are His. Um, he, he won't turn His back on us. He, he will continue to, to bless us and oftentimes blessing comes in the form of chastisement. That's, we don't like that either. But Paul here, as he begins to, to address the, the church there at Colossae, he says the reason why he does this is so that they might have full assurance, that they might acknowledge, and, and that the whole idea behind acknowledging is just accepting the truth. That's what acknowledge means. Acknowledge means admit that that's right. Admit that 
for and for us as 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 God's children, the acknowledging of the truth, acknowledging of that says that that our hope, our faith, our trust, everything that we have is not in anything that this world has to offer. It is not in anything this world might do to us. But our hope, our faith, our trust is in Christ. Christ in you, the hope of glory. That that's where we are. That that's that's our goal in preaching is that that God's children might might admit to that that they might acknowledge that that when they find themselves uh when they find themselves at that that place in their lives where they they feel like they have nowhere to look but up <laughs> that's a good place I mean, we ought not wait until we're at that finally i guess on your back i suppose uh to to acknowledge that the lord is lord but if that's if that's where we find ourselves that's a good place long as we can look up and see that the Lord is Lord. He says, uh, In whom, talking about Christ in whom, are hid all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. And he says this, verse 4. This is kind of where I wanted to pick up today. Now that we're halfway through the, the hour, I'll start. He says, In this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. Oftentimes, this is exactly um, what the world does. You see, the world is full of enticing words. Um, I had thought of a verse from uh, the book of Acts. Uh, the Apostle Paul, again, he is, uh, um, he is traveling. He is on his way, I think, making his way back to uh, Jerusalem. He, he, want, he feels like he needs to go there. And, and of course, the Apostle Paul is, is a good uh, example to us. Uh, he's going in spite of what everybody's saying, in spite of the fact that he says, all you're going to find there is trouble. But, but Paul's, Paul's burden was to preach the gospel. I, I've got to go do what I've been called to do. You see that in that, in that one thing right there, and I don't mean just preach the gospel, but that one thing is where you will find real peace. What is that? What is that one thing? I don't know. But whatever it is the Lord would have you to do, do that and you'll find peace. Whatever direction the Lord would have you to go, you go there, you'll find peace. Peace is not found in the world. Peace is in Christ. Paul, as he began to, to speak to these brethren there, he was coming through Ephesus. And he met all the, the church elders there. This is in Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul says, uh, Paul says, Acts chapter 20, um, verse... Hmm, There's not a good place to start here. Let me, let me start at verse 20. I'll start at verse 20. How I kept back nothing that was profitable unto you. That's that's the that's preaching the gospel. I'm you know when you, when when God's ministers preach the gospel, they want to preach everything that is useful to His children. It's not what what you can do, not what steps you can follow, but but where your hope lies, if, if we can just get that across. 
He says, uh, how I kept back nothing that was profitable, but have showed you and have taught you publicly and from house to house, testifying both to the Jews and also to the Greeks, repentance toward God and faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. What does he mean? Put your trust in Christ and you won't be disappointed. Don't put your trust in yourself. Don't put your trust in, in your fellow man. Don't put you. Let me tell you, you put your trust in some man, you're going to always fall. You're going to always be disappointed. And that's experience. That's experience speaking. You put your trust and your faith in some man, you're always going to be disappointed. You know, that gets back to that John 3.16. My mind's just wandering all over the place today. John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth, believeth. What does that mean? Whosoever believeth. That's a, in modern English, it's an ing word. It's a, what we would call a, a, a present participle. It means you're currently doing that. Whosoever believeth on him hath, has everlasting life. Are you believing? You believing in him just like when Moses lifted up the serpent there in the wilderness? Look over there and see that. You're not going to, you're not, your hope is not going to be found in anything other than Christ. You put your faith and trust in Christ, you won't be disappointed. Uh, Paul says here, he says, put your, that my goal is to have your faith toward our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 22, and now behold, I go bound in the spirit unto Jerusalem, not knowing the things that shall befall me there, save, except that the Holy Ghost uh, uh, witnesses in every city, saying that bonds and afflictions abide me. I, I know that there's trouble along the way. He says, but none of these things move me, neither count I my life dear unto me, unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. And now behold, I know that you all among whom I, am, I have gone preaching of the kingdom of God shall not see my face anymore. You're not going to see me again. I know that, Paul says. But here's what's important. Here's This ties into this verse over here. I know you all are probably wondering what the heck I'm talking about. But this ties into this verse over here in Colossians. It says, um, um, This I say, verse 4, This I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. I said all that stuff because of that verse. He says, um, I take you to record, Acts 20, 26. Wherefore, I take you to record this day that I am pure from the blood of all men, for I have not shunned to declare unto you all the counsels of God. I've told you where your hope lies. I've told you again where your hope lies. I've told you again where your hope lies. And if you forget where your hope lies, it ain't anybody's fault but your own. I've told you that, Paul says. He says, now take heed unto yourselves. Now he's talking to preachers here, okay? Um, he's talking to preachers. But he's talking to preachers because it's important that they stick with the truth. <laughs> they have to stick with the truth because only in the truth are God's people going to be comforted. Because you get out there in the world and you listen to some of the things that the world wants to say. And they say, well, all you've got to do is, is step A and step B and step C. And you follow all this and you do all these things. You will have peace with God. 
Do you know what God said? God was in the world reconciling us to himself by Jesus Christ. And, and as though he did by us bese- beseech you, the preacher, he's just called, be reconciled to God because he's done, he's done taking care of that. That's the truth. You don't have to do A, B, C, and D. God's already done that. As a matter of fact, God's done all the way through Z if there is one. God's done that. You just be reconciled to that fact. You can find that over in Colossians or first, second Corinthians chapter five. Um, Paul says, listen, take heed therefore unto yourselves and to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath, which he hath purchased. Not somebody else. Nobody else has purchased the, the church of God, the body of Christ. Nobody has been able to do that except Jesus Christ. He says, uh, he says, feed, feed the flock to all the flock over the which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers to feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. Why is it so important? Why? Because this I know. For I know this, Paul says, verse 29. That after my departing, and listen, this was 2,000-ish years ago. Let me tell you, it hasn't changed. It has not changed since this. It is still the same today. Still the same today. The gospel that's, that's preached in most of the world is not the gospel. Right. <laughs> the gospel that's preached in most of the world has is, is been brought in by these uh, grievous wolves. Grievous wolves, Paul says. For this I know that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. What are they going to do? They're trying to draw people after themselves. After the... He puts it in a little different way over here. He says the rudiments of the world, I think is how he puts it in Colossians. Yeah, that's what he says, rudiments of the world. But Paul, as he warns these brethren over in the, at the church of Ephesus, he warns them, stay true to the gospel. Preach the gospel. and Just be fervent in preaching the gospel. And he says that over and over and over to preachers. Preach the gospel. Because the world wants you to hear something else. The world's got a whole different message for you. Because what, now Satan knows, Satan's not stupid, all right? I just want I just want to set the record straight. Satan is not stupid. As a matter of fact, he's probably one of the smartest creatures ever to exist. Ever. He is one of the smart I think it's uh Can't remember where that's at. Where's that at? Where's uh? I'll think of it in a minute. One of the smartest that there is, and he wants you to think that you've got to do everything yourself, and he also wants you to think that you can do everything yourself. Now he's not stupid. He he knows not a single child of God, not a single heir of heaven will ever be lost. He can't do a single thing. To, to disturb their eternal resting place, to, dis, to disturb their eternal home, he can't do anything for that. 
Well, where, where's his battlefield then? It's right here. This, here's his battlefield. And if he can convince you that you can do it, <laughs> then he's won. He's, he, he's won his battle here anyway. Preaching the gospel is designed to remind you, to help you remember that you can't. That you can't do it. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. Why? Because it's it's Jesus who carries it. It's Jesus who carries the burden. Paul says, this, this I say, lest any man should beguile you with enticing words. He says, for though I am absent uh, in the flesh, yet I am with you in the spirit, joying and beholding your order. Your order. Let me tell you what. Old Baptists are peculiar. That's probably an understatement. That's That's an understatement. Old Baptists are peculiar. We're peculiar people. Uh, but our order is simple. Let me tell you what. You go, I think, I've been in a lot of different old Baptist churches. Now, occasionally we sing songs different. <laughs> we have the melody changes occasionally from church to church. We do sing them a little different, but that's, that's, not, uh, that's not a fault of the Lord. That's an imperfection in the people. The fact that we just do the best we can when it comes to singing. But if you pretty much go into any old Baptist church and the order will be the same. Why? Well, it's because, you know, we our, our goal, we strive to have right doctrine and right doctrine ought to result in right practice. And what we don't want to do is add anything else to what it is God has established. Oftentimes we hear lots of questions about why we don't do this and why we don't do this. And you notice, I don't know if you'll notice the questions or not, but the questions are never, why do you do? The questions are always, why don't you do something? (laughs) And that's how the world is. And that's how Satan is, brothers and sisters. Satan has just, and and I feel like I can speak a little freer today. There's nobody here except just... Bunch of us old Baptists. But the world, Satan, is he just just add a little bit here. Just add this little thing over here. Just insert one little thing here. It won't nobody leave and notice, and it'll make everybody so much happier if you'll do it. Do just just add that. Let me tell you, the early church, what they did, the early church, they they preached, they prayed, they sung, and they ate together. Okay? I don't want to do anything else. I don't want to add anything else. I don't want to insert anything else. Because they're just a distraction from the truth. They're just a distraction from what it is the Lord would have you take away from this whole thing. And what is it that the Lord would have us take away from this whole thing? That you might be comforted. (laughs) That you might get full assurance in the fact that your hope is not in the world. That your hope is not in what the world might do to you, but your hope is Christ in you, the hope of glory. That your hope is in Christ. <clears throat> There's so many things I could pull out of this scripture. I, 
rooted, built up in Him, established in the faith. The faith that you've been taught. <laughs> Stick with that. Stay with what, stay with the fundamentals. Stay with what it is that God said. Don't, don't, nothing else. Beware, and he says it again, beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit. Now, let me tell you, philosophy is good. Philosophy is a good thing. What is philosophy? I mean, what, what even is that? It's just a way of thinking. There is a way of thinking. There is a way of thinking, the way that God would have you think, and it is that you can put your faith and your trust in me. You see the waves crashing in on your feet? Look to me. You, you feel the world is about to, to overtake you? Look to me. That is the Christian philosophy. That is the true philosophy of Christ. Christ's philosophy is that I will care for you. I will, I will bear your, I have borne your sins and your iniquities and you don't have to. That's, that's a philosophy. Paul warns against the, another kind of philosophy. A philosophy that, and this, here's where he used it, the rudiments of the world. He says this philosophy which is vain deceit. It's just, it's just exactly that. It's just designed to deceive you. You see, the world does have an agenda. And whose agenda is it? It's Satan's agenda. And Satan's agenda is this, that he might deceive you into thinking that his way is okay. Now, however slight it might be, now you go back to uh, the book of Genesis and you read when that old serpent was there in the garden and he was talking to Eve. Almost everything he said to Eve was exactly right. But there was just one little thing. One little thing. One little tiny little piece of it there. He says, uh, let's see. One little bitty. The serpent, he was more subtle. This is chapter 3. Than any beast of the field. And he said, Did God say you can do this? Where is that little phrase? Yea, God has said, We shall not eat of every tree in the garden. The woman said, or he said Let's see. And he said unto the woman, Hath God said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? Now what's wrong with that phrase? Just one little, and of course he goes on, he says, the serpent said to the woman, well, you won't die. God knows that in the day that you eat it, your eyes will be opened. You know that's truth. It's what God says about himself. Even later on, he says, uh, he says they've eaten the tree their eyes are open they're going to become as one of us but what he did there is he introduced just a little bit of doubt did God really say that 99% truth 1% deception let me tell you what what did that lead to it led to the dang fall of man 
little bit of tiny bit of deception, brothers and sisters, will destroy a, a, a community. Destroy your peace for sure. And what's the worst deception in the world that I can do? <laughs> Put your faith and trust in Christ. That's, a, that's a, as good a place as any to, to end. But where lest any man should spoil you at, for in him. Here it is. I'll just finish with this. Verse 9. For in him dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. If there's anything that you need, if there's anything that you require, if there is anything that you are missing, it can be found in Him. May the Lord help us to remember that's my prayer.